The year is 1988. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And I'm Sarah Century. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello, and welcome to My Marvel This Year, the podcast where we go through the origins of Marvel Comics on through to today. Today we are on 1988 Part 2. We are rapidly approaching a big milestone for us, Zach. Not only the second year of My Marvel This Year coming to completion, but also approaching the 1990s. So get on board, baby. We're talking 90s comics soon. But for now, we got to talk Fall of the Mutants. Now, I'm Dave. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Zach Dean. Zach, how are you today? I'm good. Oh, you don't have a funny joke. I had one, and I forgot to jump in. Wow. I, my... I give you esteemed co-host, and your that... only thought is you d- you aren't funny? That's I all mean, you can hit me with? Calling me the co-host is the minimum. Uh, no, it wasn't that you're not you funny. You should I just... be shocked and honored. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just... Uh, I. I don't even. What was my my joke? Was like you're gonna. Dave's the only podcast host who sacrificed nine POWs to launch a podcast, <laughs> something like that. But uh, <laughs> how's that? Was that good? Sarah, Lyle. yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Let's yeah. let's redo the let's redo the intro. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's let's start from the top. Okay, and we are joined by a better guest as well. Uh, we do have <laughs> Sarah Century on the line. Sarah is an excellent writer, uh, has written now for Comic Book Herald, which I'm super thrilled about, and also writes regularly for sites like uh, Sci-Fi and mm-hmm. doing com- good comics analysis, including the podcast Bitches on Comics, which Ooh, I highly so recommend yeah. people check out. Sarah, I straight up sent Zach um, the the episode that you guys talked with the Women Write About Comics crew about comics criticism because mm. I was like, this is awesome. You should check it out. So it was really thanks for good, joining yeah. us. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. And thank you so much for the compliment. I actually just this week got another person who sent me a message that was just uh, more or less like we send that episode to our creators bec- so that they can like read criticism with a different lens and I thought that that was mm-hmm. a very interesting thing like I was very pleased that people were yeah. kind of using that as something to be like hey creator don't get mad <laughs> like when people <laughs> criticize because here's like the functional purpose of criticism and you know it's not for you really yeah it's not necessarily <laughs> yeah. for you I mean a little bit but not not so yeah, much right. Yeah, That's do you awesome. know, do you know really the, cool. the number of that episode off the top of your head? I don't, um, but yeah, it's I... the, what is it, Wawak? Is it? <laughs> so it's a Women Write yeah. About Comics, um, and we had three guests on that episode. So it was one of our more ambitious as far as how many guests we had on to, but... Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And that's, I mean, I uh, I barely have written, I think I wrote maybe one piece for WOAC at one point, but they are a great site. So if you can check out Criticism oh, yeah. by Women Write About Comics, that's a, that's a really good site. I, Eisner I, winning. Dave, Dave sent me that because I was fussing about the lack of, like, my perceived lack of good comics criticism that I could find out there. Sure. And uh, and then I 
found Bulwack. Well, the uh, the biggest problem was you kept reading my work and just saying (laughs) there's no good comic criticism. (laughs) That was the real insult. Yes, yeah, that I discovered women write about comics through through uh, that episode, and now I have them bookmarked and I go there all the time. Who? Yeah, they have a Patreon and everything. They're great. Big old archive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, excellent. So that that episode is. 48 of Bitches on Comics, oh, thank and I would you. recommend anyone go check Perfect. that out and listen, because it's very good. Ah, yeah. Speaking of checking things out with ambition, <laughs> we're talking Fall of the Mutants today. I, I, had, I had a transition earlier when somebody said ambitious, and now uh-huh. it's been like a minute, so <laughs> it does not play. Okay. But we're talking Fall of the Mutants comics. This is the big old X-Men event of 1988. It's been approximately a year and a half since the Mutant Massacre of 1986, which was the last time Zach and I nearly came to blows. Will the same happen on (laughs) Fall of the Mutants? Stay tuned to find out. Uh, I don't expect that it will. But Fall of the Mutants is a very interesting event, if you will, in that there are tie-ins. There is a reading order on comicbookherald.com, but it's really not like a sequential event like we have come to expect from modern comics, but also even just the stuff we read so far, like Secret Wars 2 and even Mutant Massacre, right? In that there are three core series here. There's X-Factor, New Mutants, and Uncanny X-Men. Each have three issues each that are officially part of the fall of the Mutants event, and they are uh, unrelated stories, right? Like they are thematically connected, and they are all part of the fall of the Mutants banner, but in terms of the actual narrative of what's happening, they are like, they maybe mention each other once or twice they aren't actually these characters aren't actually interacting um i think structurally it's kind of an effective approach because it doesn't break up what is happening in each of these series you know it allows the creators to do their own things even though they're you know it's mostly louis simonson and chris claremont as head writers on these works and they're already pretty closely related of course because simonson was a longtime editor on uncanny x-men let's start here with big picture overview of the event sarah let's start with you what is your general impression of Fall of the Mutants going back and reading it? I think rereading it here. Um, what's your like broad takeaway on this event? I thought that this was great. I loved it. Um, but like rereading it, I think was incredible because I had read all of these. I believe I read them all separately. I don't think I ever read it as a crossover. And because mm-hmm. uh, I remember, you know, oh, I'm going to read through all of the New Mutants. I'm going to read through all of Uncanny X-Men. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't remember ever reading it as like the crossover that it is. Now, it's interesting how it is connected. Um, I wanted to. Did you listen to the Explain the X-Men episodes about this crossover i bet i did no. but it's been a minute they had I, this I did it uh, yeah a while they ago. had this really funny story where uh they were like jim shooter was really excited to get them uh you know here's this crossover and all of this like now we need another one right so that's how fall of the mutants comes around but because louis yeah. simonson and chris claremont didn't want shooter to like have his ideas or like get involved at all they were like oh yeah yeah totally we're like halfway through that already don't even worry about it and he was just like great (laughs) and then like they like went into like their room you know like their offices and they were like oh my god we've got to make a crossover (laughs) and just like had to like come up with this kind of out of nowhere kind of of feels like that it does that does not feel like a, a something that you know they they roadmapped out at all yeah advanced, they were no. kind of like uh i guess we could make this and this and this um and then like you see what is it you know you'll see like famine like uh fly by <laughs> every now and again yeah, right. um and that's kind of what connects it but yeah i think it works like um honestly in a way that i was a little bit surprised about because i often kind of uh like this 
era kind of all is blendy to me. Like it all kind of blends into one thing. And mm. reading it this way made me be like, oh, these were like three very different books, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They all read quite differently. Zach, I imagine this is the first time you've read The Fall of the Mutants. Uh, yes. I can. I feel like I can predict. Yeah, give me, give me what, those predictions. Here's the prediction. I think mm-hmm. you did not enjoy... X Factor, which has been a book you have not enjoyed by mm-hmm. the Simonsons. I think New Mutants, you there's no way you dug New Mutants. <laughs> I, I think you're just not a fan of Louis Simonson's writing, right? But I think you enjoyed Uncanny X-Men. That's my prediction. What, what, how did I do? Yeah, uh, X Factor is the worst comic we've read for My Marvelous Year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about it. I actually said, because I was like, I said this before. You did and say like, that before. Can I back this up? And then I like went and looked, and I was like, I don't think there's anything I have thought is a worse comic this and you know what i think both the simonsons are i yeah i don't i don't think i love louise simonson's writing i think both the simonsons are capable of a lot better and i think this is like them at the hang on hang on i got a cue in we are we have now entered simonson slander with zach <laughs> dean uh, i would segment. not have said that her writing a new Mut- i actually i like new mutants okay i think a lot of that was propped up on brett blevin's art that art is like Fits that book quite well. I kind of love that 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 book just gets all these like really interesting experimental authors. And I thought her Mm -hmm. writing was okay. It's still like, I don't know. It's a little wordy. It's a little clumsy. It's a little all over the place. Um, And then, yeah, X-Men I liked generally. You know, I still have like Claremont nitpicks to make as always. But like, yes, ordering it would be X-Men, New Mutants, X-Factor. Okay. X-Factor is the only one that was just like just a pain to read i just i like these three x factor issues i will say now i've i've i think your your claims that it's like the worst book we've read are i don't know like hyperbolic i i know you genuinely believe them like i'm not saying you're making it up i just it feels hyperbolic to me again we are reading a curated list of the essential stuff and generally the good stuff you know too so like yeah no they're they're not the worst of marvel up to 1988. Yeah, and we <laughs> sure, did read Marvel as a uh, a patron special, so well, I don't okay, want to pretend no, that, we haven't read was, worse things. That was specifically read to be bad. Okay, Dazzler, yeah. Dazzler's worse. I'll say that. D- we the, did the, read Dazzler the Dazzler, uh, the, the graphic movie. novel. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. That's yeah. true. Okay, that's definitely worse. I'm glad to hear you admit that. Yeah, yes. X Factor is good. I like these three issues. Um, and New Mutants is actually the one that doesn't work for me the most. But what I do like about Fall of the Mutants, I, th- I think, is interesting because again, it's like it's all thematic like like sarah was saying there is the occasional you know pestilence flies by or whatever and there are these tie-ins that sort of play into the idea but it's this thematic overhaul or overtone and as the title suggests like each team faces a dramatic existential threat kind of to the core of their existence i think uncanny x-men and and x-factor they're a little more um there's a little more metaphor to it whereas new mutants is is pretty literal in terms of like the fall that they face here Mm -hmm. but you know beyond that like the mutant teams very directly confront the threat of of human versus mutant bigotry as the uh, mutant registration act takes off in the marvel universe now this was something i had to look up because we sort of glossed over this i think in our coverage but the mutant registration act this this is a concept that kicked off i think in the days of future past timeline when they they kind of talk about this that you know mutants have to register their powers it's very proto marvel civil war and of course just this idea that like okay you you have to be in a database in the government and registered as a dangerous weapon just because you're born with mutant abilities you know it's it's a pretty um kind of scary idea that mutants face but i i hadn't realized like we're at the point in marvel comics and in this universe where that is live like that exists that is signed into law we see there's an image here of ronald reagan in his biggest cowboy hat mm-hmm. like his most comically oversized cowboy hat signing 
what appears to be the mutant registration act or at least that's the way it's depicted right so that's like the the backdrop for this and what x factor and uncanny do well is they literally get like media representation of mutants acting like heroes which was kind of the whole point of the x-men from the beginning was like actually letting people see them do good things fighting for human mutant relations the the piece of it that they keep forgetting is like they're on the moon and no one's watching you know and they're saving mankind but they're not visible this makes them very visible in ways that i had kind of forgotten Mm -hmm. um it's interesting to me what what did you think of the like the thematic connections of this work or did you just kind of enjoy them each as their own separate story and and weren't really worried about that i suppose well, I remember uh, reading this whenever I was young. I was a child of the 80s, but I wouldn't have, this would have been, a, you know, a later read. Like, uh, I read it later than 1988. Um, but I do always remember seeing those, uh, you know, the ads for this crossover that were, you know, it's 1988, you know what your children are. And like, it has that yeah. kid that has like nudie written over his face. Um mm. The time period makes it really interesting. Like, obviously, like, uh, I'm a queer person and, like, this this was, like, height of the AIDS crisis, right? You know, uh, Reagan mm-hmm. is a monster. Um, and then they have, there's just so much interesting stuff around it, you know? Like, as far as what the political landscape of the time was that I think really makes it in the book in these very strange ways. Um, but, yeah, I think that, like, yeah, the kind of, like, thematic overlap of it is kind of that right like this like kind of political commentary in the x-men it's focused a lot on you know they talk a lot about being considered menaces right like that's something that you know colossus in the very beginning of the crossover is talking with those young kids and stuff like that so like there's all of this conversation about how people view them and how they're considered to be this other thing and like all of that and as like a queer person i think that that takes on (laughs) certain like a lot of importance you know that like uh isn't necessarily uh it's not like spelled out you know um but I think that there's some stuff about that that's like just that's kind of it piqued my interest in a lot of ways because of what the time period is when this came out and then the way that these stories are told so yeah I thought that it was interesting yeah, for sure. Zach, what, let's start with X-Men because that's the one you liked. Um, sure. In X-Men, we have this narrative backdrop of there is the X-Men travel to Dallas, as we actually saw in the, the pages of Incredible Hulk, which is a kind of prelude tie-in to this event. And in Dallas, there is this like uh, confrontation with Freedom Force, first of all, right. which we can get into or not which is freedom force in and of itself is very interesting yeah like it's this really strange era of mystique's essentially brotherhood of evil mutants but now rebranded as agents of the government Mm -hmm. like mystique Mm -hmm. cuts a deal where with uh val cooper where she's like hey we can we can be mutants on the side of the government and we can apprehend the dangerous ones it's there's a lot to unpack with freedom force that i find very interesting including like so we like we know blob and avalanche and pyro but then there's like crisis commando or whatever his name you know there's all these like spiral is there spiral 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 plays a big role yeah Yeah. and and does i got it okay so just jumping ahead spiral does i think the creepiest the the shot that creeped me out the most Mm -hmm. definitely is she 
stabs Destiny's mask onto Dazzler's yeah. face. Yeah. I I literally watched Very today. <laughs> oh my gosh. I watched an episode of Hannibal today where a dude is cutting his own face and feeding it to dogs. Whew. And Ugh. I was less creeped out by that than uh than Dazzler's face. Well, <laughs> right? Being Destiny mask. The thing is like uh she's alive still under there and uh, Spiral can't remove the the knife, right? And like what a cool look. <laughs> like, once that initial shock is wa- worn off and Dazzler's walking around, I was just like, well, okay, this is your new costume and should be forever. <laughs> because this is, like, this is the coolest look, walking around with this per- pale white mask with a, a golden knife sticking out of it. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty it's, it's insane a cosplay cool visual. to pull yeah. off. Yeah. Um, but no, for sure. And, like, so th- the backdrop of this is they engage in battle, but then all this is happening, there's the adversary, okay, who has taken on the form oh, of... Boy. Of I'm gonna say Naze, yeah, Naze, Naze, Naze. Okay, let's go Naze. Uh, who is a Cheyenne, Native American, and he's an ally of Forge. And we've seen in previous issues, but here he is. He's been taken over. He, oh, oh, he's taking the yes. Sorry, he's taking the, the yes. The adversary form. has taken his form initially, yeah. at least, and he, the adversary, is engaging in this sort of like cosmic war with Lady Roma who we know from the pages of Captain Britain, or maybe we don't yet. We don't we know. I don't, I don't know her, but I, I yeah. look her Wikipedia up. Yeah. Okay. And basically it's like this cosmic battle between chaos and order. It's very Dr. Fate. Um, it, it's very much just like, okay, that uh, the adversary is on the side of chaos and that's and what he unveils in Dallas. playing chess in some kind of cosmic, you know, parlor room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a chessboard with all the X-Men, which is like a motif we've seen a couple times before, I think. Yeah, I always wish Cosmic Chess was more cosmic, you mm-hmm. know? Like, the design was not literal chess as we know it, but was instead even Star Trek-y, where it's just like, oh, it's a different game, but clearly it's chess. <laughs> yeah, 3D chess. So anyway, he's uh, he's unleashing chaos in Dallas, and the, the story becomes... Uh, there's all sorts of different eras. There's dinosaurs running around. There's, uh, there's you know, Native Americans from different time periods that the citizens of Dallas just decide to open fire on, which is bonkers scene um and yeah it's like all these different eras and chaos and the x-men are the only ones who can kind of stop it um it's it's an interesting premise that is very very dedicated to like just the story claremont has been telling you know so we read these three issues but there's a lot of backdrop to this that gets explained in the previous issues of uncanny you know like even who's on the team at this point i would say like the roster Mm -hmm. which is five-eighths women which is no small feat in, yeah. in Marvel Comics cool in roster. 1988. Yeah, it's like, and it's this really interesting era of X-Men where, like, they're so far removed from the all-new, all-different X-Men, just kind of core lineup, you know? Like, it's this rotating thing with with new people and Dazzler and Longshot and Psylocke, these new players. Um, they're very different than we've seen them previously. So I, I enjoy this era of X-Men. I it's, it's unique. It's strange in a lot of ways. And this event kind of caps taps into, like, I don't know, the, the sort of oddness of it all? And I guess literally the it's, chaos, right? It's so... It, the thing about this era, and, you know, we've been reading Claremont for 13 years now. No, 18. No, wait, what am I thinking? 13 years. 13 years. Um, And it, I, I kind of have two, like, contradictory thoughts, which is, like, it is wildly impressive, this enormous universe he has built totally of himself, right? Like, and, I mean, now we've got, like, the Simonsons coming in with X-Factor, but, like, the mutants are such his baby, and this world is so complicated and so self-referential and so insular i think that's really interesting if you love this stuff and it's really impressive and at this point i feel like it's just so overstuffed with stuff and so um like it it, i mean i'm not lost necessarily right like i follow along these we've been i've been reading enough of these i know what's going on generally 
it's just it's so um, packed full of characters and things happening that I, I think it's just overstuffed and too impenetrable even for someone who kind of knows what's going on there's just um I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's becoming the stereotype of, like, what scares people off of superhero comics, which is the, like, hand these three issues to someone who doesn't read, hasn't read a ton of X-Men. <laughs> right, This yeah. is just baffling, baffling stuff, right? Because, like, the adversary, uh, I mean, that, that in Roma, right, these are two totally different characters from two totally different plot lines that are converging here over, you know, they've been coming in over the last decade combine that with like freedom force is happening forge and storm are in their own little time bubble right like so storm's living out an entire year where she learns to forgive forge and then he builds from like the stone age to modern day technology in his like dinosaur uh yeah like prehistoric yeah. time or whatever yeah, yeah. all co- no, I'm tracking. Know, the, the thing is i think they're all cool ideas i like i think except maybe the adversary in roma i don't i couldn't bring myself to care about that too much but i i think as usual all pretty good ideas from Claremont. It's just <clears throat> overstuffed and underbaked for me. This could have been nine issues spread out across different like storylines, but I think it's just too dense for me to enjoy. I don't know. Maybe that's just it, it's just my own brain in the way that it's, like it is dense. I mean, I think I think what you're describing is it kind of is spread out over that many issues. It's just the prelude issues, you know, from like two twenty to this point that we didn't read as part of this. Um, Sarah, what what do you think about Claremont's approach to story here? And I I think too like one thing I find interesting is. This is a Marvel event, you know? And to that end, I think Zach's point is spot on, which is that, like, this is a really weird story I, to tell as your flagship event. I buck the, that whole concept that this is an event. It, Sarah, yeah, you, you let us know what you think, because I, I want to get back to the idea of this being an event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I, I was raised on soap operas, so to me, this isn't too dense. Like, I'm used to kind of walking into a story halfway, right? Like, that's something mm-hmm. that um, I think is fairly normal. And, you know, for Claremont, once, you know, as you all were saying, that's 100% a Claremont thing. It's like every time you pick up any X-Men comic of this era, <laughs> you're just, you know, uh, left to the wolves pretty much. Um, yeah. But yeah, as far as it being an event, uh, sort of. I mean, everything, yeah, I don't know. It It, it isn't really. I couldn't. It feels like, it feels arbitrary, doesn't it? Like, because almost, almost all of X-Men for the past, for all of the 80s, has had crossovers similar to this, where, like, things cross over and little winks and nods to the other issues and stuff uh-huh. like that. Right, right. Part of the mainstay, so I, I don't see any... I mean, with the exception of maybe, like, famine showing up in a Captain America issue and that being, like, outside of the X-verse, right? Besides that, like, it just feels like three different storylines that wink at each other. Right, but they all the conclude same way that they always in this interesting yeah. way, right? Like, they all kind of have these uh, meaningful conclusions, and I think that mm-hmm. that was... Sure. That was like why, <laughs> why it was yeah. kind of like a crossover, and that's what you mean. You mean new costumes? Yes, new costumes exactly. <laughs> it's like the new cro- new costumes. Everybody goes off and you know in a different direction. X Factor's whole thing changes. Like you know, mm-hmm. yeah, we totally one hundred percent needed to see the end of that like Moon Hunter BS. So like yeah, that. Awful ending was cool and then um yeah i mean i think it, if there's if there's something that ties it together it's the public perception of mutants pretty much but then like mm-hmm. there's certain times where that isn't even really a thing like in new mutants that's barely a thing um because yeah. they're kind yeah, of new mutants doesn't feel 
connected, really. Maybe <laughs> At it just all. feels totally off on its own little. And I mean, I, I expected like, oh, all right, Apocalypse, he's going to be the tying nope. thing to this because I read X, for, <laughs> X Factor first. And then it was like, oh, nope. Not, not at, at all. all. Yeah. No, no, <clears throat> it's not. It is interesting, I think, too. If you take the event title off, you know, it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise anyone. You know, it's, it's definitely the least event of anything that we've read in this era and will read, frankly. You know, like Mutant Massacre is at least a, a crossing over event. Mm-hmm. Um, and Inferno is full on the event that we kind of expect right. where it's like one massive, not even one, but like a massive story that everything gets caught up right. in. And that's where we're going. Do you next. feel like this the- is not to cut you off, but do you feel like yeah. this is kind of like proto inferno though? Cause like, I feel like yes. this yeah. is almost like a run up to that story. I think that tends to be true of, kind of everything though, <laughs> right from, <laughs> this time <period. laughs> for so much of this era you know kind of like so much in the decade once we get to even like the magic uh storm miniseries mm-hmm. which i think is like 84 ish you know like a lot of stuff is built to inferno and I, I think new mutants in particular the three chapters here those are more about getting us to inferno than they are about connecting to fall mm-hmm. mutants yeah good point um specifically as it pertains to so okay i think we can sum up new mutants fairly quickly in that, like, it basically it's the new mutants off on their own adventure. Magneto lost them again. He's constantly losing <laughs> these children, and he's not happy about it. But they're off on their adventure with their friend Birdbrain, who they recently met. He Basically, it's a Dr. Moreau's Island uh, story. You know, it's all these uh, animal hybrids that kind of have some form of intelligence given to them by this villain known as the Animator. Mm-hmm. Right? We've seen this, like, three three different iterations in Marvel because like the next men wasn't it right the high evolutionary creates the next men and they're yeah, yeah, a yeah. bunch of like animal people anyway and the manimals was that a thing it's like doctor <laughs> uh god no I don't even know um something I think what, in like the silver age there was the like, manimals a, is that correct that, that's just my uh, high school basketball <laughs> name. I was gonna make the same <laughs> joke and then I got embarrassed oh no the same joke Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of fouls. Not a lot. Not a lot of playing. Time. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> no. So the animator is. I. I do think that Brett Blevins art. You know, you called this out early, Zach. It. It sells the cartoonishness. Yeah. Of of these characters, I think. Well, again, like it's not a story I find myself super invested in. You know, aside from the big beats. Um, but I do I do like it artistically in terms of being a little unique and selling the cartoonishness. I'm not sure Blevin's style is going to win me over as much elsewhere. And I do quite like the way he depicts uh, the right when they show up. So we have Cameron Hodge. Now we've seen him, you know, vilified and full on villain in the pages of X Factor previously. He's now got his, you know, terrorist organization against mutants called the Right and all of his little like egg soldiers. And they are, I would say, appropriately scary. Uh, yeah, as in terms of people who show up with guns and shoot at kids, that is well, the, the, no good. So Brett Blevins, like he, he walks this line between like kind of I don't know, like creepy, cartoonish. It, it's it's manga ish in a way. Like their heads are too big, mm. their eyes are way too big. They're almost like chibi like the way he draws people, um, which I love. I <clears throat> love like a really distinct style like this. Um, sure, mixed into like these mainline comics. Um, yeah, but then you mix that with these really serious, disturbing events, and I think that gives you a cool, creepy atmosphere that uh, really carried this comic along. Because, you know, I guess you said you don't like this as much as, like, X-Factor. Do you think do you think you would like X-Factor if you, reading these, these three issues, you were like, uh-huh. you knew that Apocalypse was some villain who never showed up again. He was some one-off villain, you know, was a dud no. here, failed, and then 
if you know, I didn't we, already we never, did never, Apocalypse and care right, about we, that character. Yeah, do you think uh, you would care about these three issues? That's I mean, interesting. Probably not as much. Yeah. But but the counter to that is that these three issues cement Apocalypse as a meaningful villain moving forward. Yeah, I think that is the work a little that they more do. Interesting here. Although his four horsemen are just so boring here. Like, Listen, you, the, original like four horsemen, Look, the original four horsemen. The original four horsemen. I are know bad. what you, you think about them, Sarah. Do you do you like Apocalypse and the four horsemen? I like the horsemen. I don't like Apocalypse because he's a eugenicist mm. and he drives me up the wall with his stuff. Well, not like, like yeah, <laughs> no, as a villain, <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I just think that he's somebody who really just like he bored the hell out of me for a really long time. Um, but I like him i guess more in retrospect whenever i was first reading these comics i was like oh this guy um Mm -hmm. again because i was (laughs) i started reading comics in the mid 90s so i was over this guy by then like the mid 90s you have like the whole age of apocalypse you know like i was just done and i didn't want to dave loves age of apocalypse i sorry everybody just went everybody just went on mute for a few minutes i don't know (laughs) i don't know what happened (laughs) yeah i love the age of apocalypse i do and like, I love, I mean, I'm like the counter argument, you know, to not liking Louise Simonson's writing. Like, I love her stuff. I think all of these are really, That's really good. Ask, yeah. Like, uh, honestly, I prefer her New Mutants to Claremont's. And then I, unless, you know, except for like the Demon Bear or something where it's just like the best story. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoy Louise Simonson's writing. I like how she nails all of the character beats. And I think that like looking back, that's what I read here is like, I almost don't pay attention to Apocalypse because to me, it, he's such an incidental part of the story. Like he's the obviously the motivating villain, but uh, he it doesn't he's like matter. Background maniacal, yeah, actor yeah, yeah. Throughout a lot of it, because it's like, <laughs> what's it about? It's about Caliban turning. You know, like Caliban yeah. leaves X Factor after being you know mostly ignored and kind of mishandled for a long time, and then you have Warren and his anger just coming out of almost nowhere it feels like and to me that's really interesting he's a scary guy and then Mm -hmm. uh yeah even in like the new mutants you have all of this other stuff happening in x-men obviously apocalypse doesn't even factor into that um Mm -hmm. but yeah this like this x-factor story is kind of fascinating to me because the main villain who they do like i would agree that this is where it cements him into a character that's going to come back right um they could have gone either way, but I think that, you know, they do a really good job making him somebody who, like, you're you're going to see again. But, um, yeah, as far as him being a compelling villain here, I was just like, yeah, he's totally, like, spouting, like, survival of the fittest kind of nonsense. Mm. And to me, it's just like, yeah, it's like the same as, you know, any <laughs> almost, uh, yeah, almost any, like... We can turn on our television at any point and hear this rant, you know, at this point, you know, in, mm, in yeah. 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to me, I think he's kind of boring here. He does get a lot more interesting later. Uh, I love the way that Walt Simonson draws him, though. Oh, good. yeah. I just like uh, even as someone who's kind of critical of Walt Simonson's art in uh, in like Thor, which everyone loves, like I think like there's just a, a huge gulf between what he's doing in Thor and this like this just seems it's so sloppy seeming to me. Uh-huh. And, and I th- actually think Apocalypse, Apocalypse looks okay sure. here. Like he looks better than he has in the last few issues. But like the, the, the art here just like, 
I, 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 don't, I don't think it's sloppy so much I as think. it is less kinetic. I than, think I mean, it is. I mean, especially since I know what he can do in Thor. In oh, like sure. the worst of his Thor stuff compared to this, I think it's night and day. And then you I move from this to um, there's that Captain America tie-in where mm-hmm. um, Famine is transported to like the breadbasket and starts yeah. just wiping out. And it is just like... It, it feels like you jumped like twenty years in Marvel Comics. The the difference in like style and right. actual like visual storytelling because that story is riveting. Famine is fascinating and scary there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I could care like I felt nothing about the four horsemen reading these X Factor issues. And then like all of a sudden she was spooky. It was like, oh, she's sucking the fat right off of people, like mm-hmm. and like Falcon's arms getting, you know, defatted here and it's really frightening and it was like really sold there and I, I felt none of that I, I will say I think Louise Simonson functions a lot better in New Mutants and Power Pack I oh yeah she's great in Power Pack I, I think those both like the, the kids and the teen voices I think maybe just work a lot better for her than these like big theatrical adults because like these lines just I, you know maybe it's just an aesthetic preference but these lines just read as so like clunkily melodramatic in a way that rings really hollow to my ears like I, I i read this and it just like it, it's just a pain to a slot i mean it feels like reading the script to a soap opera sure i can't just like i can't read oh five original mutants as anything other than clunkily melodramatic <laughs> like to me that's who they are maybe gene accepted sure. i think gene can pull off cool there's a um, lot but- of um yeah like i would say Simonson. I mean, X Factor is like an interesting book, right? Because I feel like that was one where the editorial was so in control of everything that was going to happen in that book mm-hmm, yeah. for like the yeah. longest time. Like this, the goofy yes. mutant hunter thing was something that like happened before Simonson came on board, right? And kept feeling yeah. like stuff gets foisted on her that is not her baby. Totally, a hundred percent. That's how that I read X Factor. Yeah. yeah, but like, I mean, yeah, and I there's it works sometimes and it works less other times. There's definitely people who agree with you that like the X Factor stuff is just kind of goofy, right? Um, yeah. I like read it as a kid, and so there's always going to be like a little bit of nostalgia for me whenever sure, I like yeah. look back at this stuff. Like I'm just you know, and also I've been like a Gene fan for my entire life, right? So whenever I look at Gene now, I look back and I'm just like, I like this because it plays into yeah. this longer arc for her. Um, I, I very- know that Claremont. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. No, oh. please go ahead. Oh, I just I know Claremont like didn't want to be writing Jean and at all. Why, like she's <laughs> she's still over here in the X Factor. Uh-huh. Like I like Jean so much that I am just waiting for the day that she gets back. Like you know, in Claremont's writing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm excited to see her kind of like back with the crew again. Yeah. Well, you got Madeline back with the back with the Uncanny yeah. X Men. Yeah, yeah. She's still she's still hanging out in the midst she's of she's really good absolute turmoil. Yeah. Yeah. I love Madeline. Yeah. I love like yeah. there's a lot of things that I enjoy and I don't know. Like, if I had just read it today, I really don't know how I would feel about it, right? Like, if yeah. if it was a new thing to me, or, like, if Did, I had read it in even, like, the last 10 years, I really don't know how I would feel about these comics. I have that about, like, there's, is it the Superior Spider-Man? It's, like, one of those spinoffs in yeah. the 90s. I can't remember what it was, but there's some I read when I was, like, 10 years old, and I had, like, four issues of Spider-Man. I read it's not superior because that's later. Isn't but it? We yeah. Should definitely figure that out. Uh, whatever I, that I, series I've is. I've looked them up again. They're not even on Marvel Unlimited. It's so like incidental. Sure. But I was crazy about them as a kid, and I've I've gone back to them and found them online, and like they're pretty bad. Right. They're pretty bad <laughs> comics. Like <laughs> sure. they look bad. The story's dumb. You know, etc. But like, yeah, I still can read them. And like every couple of years, I return to them and be like, "Yeah, this is cool." 
But it's not. Sure. I mean, it's it's actually not. But you know, I still just have that. Like I read. No, that that nostalgia can carry a lot of weight, yeah. and I, I yeah. think there's some to that. Which you know, I think for a lot of our readers is true too. Like they yeah, read these in a similar place, or just caring um, about X Men more than I do. Which sure. you know what, like I like X Men. They're just not. I I think I'm discovering this, and I kind of would not have thought this, but they're they're just not the thing that I'm like that invested in in Marvel. So like, I I think for just a lot of people, it's just enough to be hanging out with these characters and watching this world spin. And for me, it's just like, you know, I, I need something else. I need something compelling in the moment uh, for, for this to be working for me. Yeah, that yeah. is an important thing, I think, of X-Men fandom. Oh, of, yeah. Of just, like, wanting to see these characters and just enjoying the beats of them yep. interacting with each other, where yep. each each interaction is a big thing. Yeah. You know? and, and Claremont and like, can still just nail that. Like, you know, he can still really do that sometimes. And I just, I wish he almost would give himself a little more room to breathe with that. Cause like that scene with Colossus you brought up where he's talking to a bunch of kids. Excellent. Love that scene. Like that, that really yeah. stands out and that gets like five or six pages, something like that. And it goes, mm-hmm. it goes a while, maybe, maybe not that long, but he goes there and then he goes, I don't know, just to him, like hanging out with himself in his new metal form. He gets stuck in metal. He can't deal with a toll or a phone booth. He meets up with his sister again. Like his all that his really rage works. at that phone booth is excellent. That's really <laughs> yeah. funny how he can't, really enjoy he, that he keeps moment. Crushing it, but all, all that really works well. And I think it's just because it has enough time to breathe. And then later on, we get like four plot lines packed into twenty four pages, and it's all life or death. And it just like it kind of has that thing where I just like I, I it's too much, and I get overwhelmed. You know, with like the uh, what's the word like there's too much panic happening and so i kind of just check out sure um which, okay. which is, sounds, so, sounds like an efficient coping mechanism <laughs> exactly yes. I get yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what like I, I still think packed full of good ideas can totally see why this would just be like thrilling to people who are so into this so oh yeah, yeah it's a lot of movement absolutely yeah. i mean so let's let's talk about outcomes a little bit so what what these stories are driving to um let's start with x factor so the thing that i do like about apocalypse here is and no, I would not share a meal with him either. But I, I do like that he is like the absolute master strategist. I do I enjoy that in a villain, you know, from the Doctor Doom mm-hmm. school of literally everything you do, I accounted for it and it's actually part of my plan. Mm, like, and Beast it's fine if I destroys lose. His, yeah. Like I'll yeah, just exactly. win later. Yeah. Exactly. And Beast like destroys his ship and Apocalypse laughs. He's like, Ah, oh, you fool. That's exactly what I thought you do. Which is a very and, like, like Donald Trump thing to do, also though. It's just real. like everything you can spin into a win. How <laughs> you dare know? you? How dare you make that comparison <laughs> of my boy and Savanur? That's offensive. Um no, but yeah, he's just like everything they do is a win for him. He's trying to get uh he's trying to get mankind. Basically, he's attacking them with an, a clear mutant assault so that mankind will turn on mutants and kick off this war between mutants and um, humanity that he's like, we need this so we can, you know, prove our prove we're the fittest and mutants can ascend and blah, blah, blah. That's his whole thing. Um, but the outcome of this is the X-Men, their X-Factor rather, do stop his literal ship named ship, which is a <laughs> one of my favorite details, um, crashing into Manhattan. There's destruction, but the, the X-Factor team helps a lot. And they get, by the end of this, like a lot of media coverage and a literal parade. They, um, wait, sorry. They, cl- they crash the ship into X-Factor's building, which, uh, is, which yes, is so yes. good because it's just like... Yeah, let, let, let's wipe all that out and reset our reputation with, like, literally destroying X-Factor in the same action, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. which is a fun little poetic note. And a similar, a th- similar thing happens in Uncanny X-Men in terms of the coverage where they are, uh, the X-Men go on this, you know, clear, like, suicide mission to end the threat of the adversary, and they are joined by, uh, oh, I forget the name, NPR reporter 
Neil something, I think. Right, who's a person, right? Like Who's a real person, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Yeah, which is awesome. Uh, but he's, you know, they're like live live streaming. They're saving the world is what they're doing. Neil um, Conan. I did not There know we that. go. Thank <clears throat> you. Yeah. Weird. Uh, and it's like the most, again, it's like this thing where the world gets to see mutants exist and they do great things for humanity in a way that, you know, when you kind of think about, like, you go back through X-Men history, it's like, oh, yeah, all these things they're doing, like, they're just not public. You know, they're like this shadow team and kind of everyone can ignore them and fear and hate them because it's this, there's, they always have this otherness, but it's also like a non-public otherness. You know, there's like an ignorance that accompanies it. And this event actually kind of tries to, I don't know, kind of change that ballgame in the sense of like, you literally saw them save your lives on TV. You know, it, it changes the perception potentially, or at least the arguments. That's. I think Before, you might be, you know, hating that. It doesn't really matter, but uh, that's an X-Men, not in New Mutants, that that reporter is there. Yeah, right, uh, right, right. Oh, that's what I'm okay. talking about. Okay, yep. sorry. Maybe I got mixed up. I, I'm just seeing here. I had no idea he was a real person. He was just friends with Chris Claremont. <laughs> like, totally. His Wikipedia page just says, Neil Conan is a friend of comics writer Chris Claremont. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, so when the X-Men do go on the suicide mission and it gets coverage, they do mm-hmm. die, technically. So like <laughs> all the, the mutants, least, the least like you know cliffhanger, you know, because I was like, oh man, well we're probably gonna get what three six issues where it's just like the X Men are gone, world without X Men, blah blah blah. Yeah, and it's like three to six pages that we where that's dangling over us. Well, like but that. what you do get though is you get the idea mm-hmm. of a world without X Men for everyone else. Yeah, because so they get they get reborn, they get resurrected by the Lady Roma. Um, as part of her plot and she's like cool I brought you back you can do anything now like I can send you anywhere and this sets up a new era for them the down under era literally where they will go to Australia where the world thinks the X-Men are dead so that's going to be a big thing as we move forward with with X-Men comics but like including their allies including people they know and love like for a stretch here it's going to be the apparent death of the X-Men um, which is it, yeah it sets up like and again it's that thing of People complain now of like, oh, an event had no ramifications, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Marvel event will happen and nothing changes. Um, the thing I quite like about Claremont's events and, and the other collaborators here is their obvious runways to other ideas. So like the things that happen here, they aren't literally just set up, but they clearly build to a new sort of status quo that then we can explore. I think Fall of the Mutants does that quite well. Yeah, yeah I would yeah, agree. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it... it I guess, yeah, again, like, framing it as an event feels, uh, you know, like, maybe it, it, again, it's kind of that, like, mutant massacre thing where it's, like, that put expectations on it that probably harmed it, (laughs) you know, because if this was just three issues of X-Men and it was, like, wow, that was a crazy three issues, things have changed. Yeah. You know, that would be one thing, but being, like, this 12-issue crossover event, then it feels kind of lackluster. This didn't really have that. It just felt odd, I guess, that it was called an event. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see where like everything lands. And then we didn't talk about this, but the new mutants, the um, Cameron Hodge and the Wright, uh, tried to shoot Rain, and Doug Ramsey jumped in front of, uh, her <laughs> and saved her. And it's very sad. It's like a really yeah. good, effective moment, like him saving her. The the death scene is really effective. Yeah, um, yeah. and that like Doug kind of dies alone. And no one even knows he's hurt for a while. Yeah. Before before Rain discovers him and like her breakdown. I think actually Louise Simonson like really nails all of this. And then the ramifications of this are that Magneto is furious at them when they return. Rightfully so, because they snuck off, right? It's a bunch of teenagers, they snuck away, and 
to to save their friend Birdbrain. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, just that that sentence. Um, and uh, you know, and one of them gets killed, and he's just mad at them for acting like children and putting themselves in danger. Um, yeah, and like, and at one point threatens to just you know like uses magnetic powers to just like what lock them in their rooms, like keep them yeah. totally restricted. I um, love Angry Dad Magneto. Same. Like this is such good. a good, what a good role, role for, him. for him. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. But this ends with all of them basically saying we're not working under Magneto anymore because Magneto is like humans did this I would you know I'm right to hate humans humans are not our friends we need to view them as enemies blah 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 um he's you know kind of reverting slightly back to older Magneto and the new yeah movement. it's kind of a turn for him it's a turn for Ileana which I like as yeah. well you know where she really starts embracing her dark child form after it's clear that Doug has died and that the writer to blame, oh, which yeah. as you said earlier, Sarah, like this is our this is our road to inferno. You know, it, it starts right here. Oh my God, Ilyana in this is so compelling to because mm-hmm. there's that yeah. whole scene of like in the beginning we see her with Pietor, or, like we see her with her brother Colossus, and it's so endearing. Like there's this moment where there she's just like talking and talking, and he cracks up, and she's like, "What are you laughing at?" And he's like, "I was just." waiting for you to stop talking so that I can say something (laughs) and like it's just so yeah so endearing like it's just this Mm -hmm. moment of just like oh my god these two are like gonna be okay and then almost immediately we see Ilyana's turn right like she becomes so angry because of what happened to Doug and um yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's like, it's to me, Ilyana in the story is a huge standout. Like, I think that she is so, so interesting. And then there's um, like a few other characters that I think are particularly compelling. Like, Can I think. Can we point Ms- out some other oh, things yeah. about uh, Ilyana, which yeah. she banishes some of the right to her like demon realm for yeah, eternal torture? She sure um, does. She pops out in her demon, what is it called? A dark child form? Yep. Yeah. Which. Yep. It, Again, she's 16. I don't need all these, like, high-riding bikini things. Right. Please, God. Like, stop drawing these teenagers like this. Um, But, uh, yeah, she does that, which is kind of cool and scary. And then she actually brings out her soul sword to attack Magneto because she's so upset, like, with him and, like, what she views as a betrayal from him. So, you know, you can kind of see things unraveling. And from this conversation, I'm getting that this means something. I don't know this, but you guys are talking like this is going to lead into something. So. Well, she, um, what's interesting is, is that right in the beginning, she was like this person who was like, get Magneto out of here. Like, there is no reason I'm listening to that guy. Like, there's no yeah. reason for me to yeah. side with him. And he had gained her trust. And yeah, then exactly. in this, you see her uh, become so angry that yeah. I just think like, wow, just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really compelling stuff. Like I love yeah, Ileana. It, it, it feels, this. it feels earned. Yeah. Well, it is sold too that like both sides are a little right, you know, yeah. like the yep. kids are right. That Magneto is like, he's off with the hellfire club right. all the time trying. He's trying in his head to establish something that is better for mutant kind doing. He's trying to do things the right way kind of sense on Kenny X-Men number 200 with Professor Xavier, you know, gallivanting in space with Lalandra. And he's he's going about that, but at the same time, he's not giving the kids the attention they need, and they keep sneaking off, and now one of them has died as a result, you know? So they, they have a point. Like, it's not like they just snuck off and did something crazy, and one of them died um, without, you know, like any think magneto could have done or whatever but he's so the one yeah who, you're right and oh sorry but he's the one who bears the responsibility right like there's that scene yeah, yeah. where he's just 
I have to do the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm going to call Doug's parents and tell him that he's dead. Like, you know, like that was um, another really impactful moment for me because Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, Magneto really never stood a chance. You know, like this time period, Professor Xavier put way too much on him. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. He failed. And then it was like, well, yeah, he's just reverting to type or whatever. And it's just like, no, they just made him take on so much responsibility that he was not prepared to handle. And so like, and then of course, like the new mutants at that point were just like, we don't even have parents. Like we like do what we want because Professor Xavier was like possessed by the brood for like half of our, you know, (laughs) experience of new mutants. you know so it's like they have been like really unmonitored for a lot of this time or like you know they've been monitored by like emma frost who actually did like the best job keeping tabs on them which is that's crazy it's crazy because that was probably the best school experience they had seriously it's like so (laughs) many question marks when i say that but i'm also just like she's kind of a good teacher and like you know even though like they had great reasons to be angry and resentful of her she actually like made them participate with you know other mutants and stuff whereas like up until that point you know and then it's like yeah magneto fails but i don't it's like hard to place blame on him because it's just like yeah yeah, like i'm i'm sure i would fail (laughs) if those were like you know if that position was just kind of like put on me as well yeah yeah it's and i i mean it's just been such like an interesting role for him to fill for like what four years now how long has it been two years now I yeah guess, since since x-men 200 and in, like, in publication years yeah right yeah and that's like I, I think just really nice that that's had time to breathe and really like been hanging out with him so i'm curious to see how you know where he goes from here because I've been, well and i was like, just thinking too i don't really know like i know what the end point of where he goes from here is but i can't really remember the road um you know through like inferno is the next big event so i'm curious to check that out as well i think too like when we did the club originally I think a lot of this New Mutants stuff was missing, the Simonson era, um, and and now it is included. So there's more of a chance to check that out for people who are interested. And Zach, to your point about talking about something that you know you haven't read yet, like the, I think the real takeaway with Ileana is like she's giving in to this, you know, like dark child form from Limbo and her kind of ownership of that realm in a way that, you know, she's kind of tried to resist. You know, it's like we know it's there since the miniseries, but we kind of see that creeping in more and more, and and that's important. You you think that she's free of it almost, and then this is where you start to see her go back into it, and it's just, yeah, in the end, it is devastating. Yep, totally. So was there anything else with any of the other tie-ins or anything? other characters, I think. Yeah, I loved the character work here. Um, I thought that there was, I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? Like, um, you were mentioning how, like, this is a bit of an overwhelming story and that there's way too much going on and everything. And then I look at this as, you know, somebody who has been reading X-Men since I was probably like eight years old. And I'm just like, every character in this is so much themselves. (laughs) And like, Mm. you know, this is such a timestamp of like, what was going on in this period in the books and like all of that. So I think that, yeah, Freedom for and this so interesting like they like just blew my mind a little bit here because we're used to them being so villainous and here they have to work with the x-men and 
I thought that that was just fascinating. Like, I loved Mystique's role in this. I loved Destiny. I loved the blob. Like, I loved, you know, all of these characters. I thought that they were super compelling. But then also Rogue in this. This was like the time period where every time you see Rogue, she's flying at you, you know, like with her fists, (laughs) like in the air, you know, like Rogue is like during this time period, Rogue was this character that was just kind of thrown at every problem. Like, it's just like, uh, we're trying to talk. Could you please handle that and like rogues just like thrilled to just go punch something in the face right like that's yeah, yeah and i love that area of rogue like that to me is my favorite rogue like i love rogue now as a much more you know complicated and nuanced character but i think that there's something that's been like lost a little bit because there was this whole time period where she was basically just you know reeling from the trauma of absorbing carol danvers personality and she kind of acts like carol through all of this right like she's doing this kind of uh you know, not thinking before she strikes, you know, like kind of flying and fighting and just being kind of really interesting. And then you have her and Mystique's relationship being, you know, something that just it doesn't get resolved whatsoever. But the way that they interact with each other is great. And uh, yeah, that was kind of my thing was I was just I love all of these characters. And so I loved seeing Freedom Force. I loved seeing Rogue and uh, Colossus. Even Wolverine, I think, had some really great lines. Uh, Storm during this, I think, was, you know, it's like it's tangential or uh, tangential. Tangential, uh, God. Tangential. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I can't talk today. It's Um, very gentle while it's adjacent to the story. A a new good combo, which I enjoy. (laughs) But like, yeah, it's not necessarily. I mean, it it becomes relevant as like the story goes along, but it doesn't start relevant. You're kind of like, yeah, storms off with Forge doing her Forge stuff for a little while, some more. Um, Which (laughs) do you like their relationship? um, I like. like I'm kind of give and take. I think that this one was. It's interesting to see them interact in this way i love the part where where forges uh try let me walk these roads with you and she's like i must walk these paths alone and just kind of like walks off i love (laughs) i love that entire year off screen and then she just just comes back one one year later and she's like i'm ready to forgive after living in the woods for a year that we don't get to see yeah (laughs) that's what i mean like I felt like that's an entire issue. It really right is. Yeah. I think well, that... we don't need that'd be life death three. There's no, uh, <laughs> there's no time I didn't for read that life death two, but I like life death one enough. I yeah. One. Yeah. I yeah. like them and, in, and in that way. Get... Right. Oh, yeah, sorry. She, and she gets her powers back, which like, thank God. Like yeah. it's been too long. She's been depowered for so long and like taking the coolest X-Men off the board for such a long time. And you know, like, it, I mean, it's a bad trope that gets played with, but like, it was interesting enough for a little while having mm-hmm. her deal with this and showing that she was still very competent without her powers. But it know, was time, like, right? Like it's been time for a while. Yeah. Like, I was very happy to see that. So, Yeah. Yeah. I was Which, glad the things oh, that yeah, sorry, we take ahead. out of this, right? Like I'm glad that storm got her powers back. I'm so glad that the mutant hunter thing is over. I'm uh, glad yeah. that Freedom Force kind of hit this weird moral event horizon. Um, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the fact that the X-Men now are going to do the Australia era because I enjoyed that era a lot. I know it's kind Ooh. of a controversial. Some people hate weird. it. Some people like it. But um, I'm a like it person. So I'm excited for that. I enjoyed yeah. Dazzler in this. I think that she had... she gets really weird during this time period <laughs> like coming a, up it, it's like yeah 
going okay. forward, but even up to this point, right? Because like I think that her series was already happening. Um, and her series is kind of like, it's all over the place. I like it, but it's kind of all over the place. And then here you start to see her be uh, like not always likable, right? There's things about her where she's kind of selfish and she doesn't want to be on the team necessarily and stuff like that. So I think that this is, but I like that. Like I like for her to be a nuanced person in that way. Like She's well-meaning, but she's not the same as all of the other X-Men. Oh, and Havoc is interesting in this too. So I liked, yeah, I thought all of the character dynamics were great. Havoc felt new to me in like maybe a way I just haven't, we like have skipped a lot of Havoc, but Havoc sure. was like really aggressive in yeah. This, in a way that I was like, has Havoc always been this aggressive? Because no. I'm not used to him being this, like, angry and, like, all right, let's kill him. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I wasn't sure if that has just been, like, a progression I haven't really seen. Uh, and it just jumped to this, so... I mean, it's I mean he's gone. Makes... He's gone through some stuff where yeah. Lorna Dane, his his girlfriend, was recently possessed, possessed. by malice. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of the yeah. Uh, the Mister Sinister's Marauders, right? So mm-hmm. you got some got some anger. Got this some is another oh, there. Some road of those to Marauders Inferno thing. Are here looking cool too. Like Avalanche worked here. Avalanche was kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, Avalanche isn't a Marauder. Not a Marauder, not? but still just, cool. I just assume Spiral though, right? Oh my God, yeah. No, not a Marauder, cool. but <laughs> is she still... not? All right. Well, then I take back what I said. <laughs> are you sure Spiral's not? I thought Spiral came out of the Marauders. Uh-uh. Where'd she come from? Sounds like you need to Marid some more Marauders. <laughs> no, thank you. What yeah. did Spiral come from? So no, no Marauders here. No Marauders. Okay. No oh, right. Yeah, Spiral's a uh, an Innocenti creation. I knew that. Yep. Actually, from Longshot. Yep. Yeah, it's Longshot, an Art Adams right. Innocenti thing. Yeah. Which, like, man, she's created so many cool, weird little characters. She really has. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. just great. That, don't, that are not that big, but, like, most of them have been really interesting. Longshot continues to be, like a lot of fun like I oh like yeah Miranda. and i like that this was some of the first time we've seen that like oh your luck doesn't mean you're just invincible <laughs> like yeah he still gets into trouble here he's just lucky because it, it has been a little bit of that and it's played it right so far without it just being like too overpowered but he does get like overwhelmed here and and it works pretty well Speaking of Nascenti, I do also want to call out there is a Daredevil Fall of the Mutants tie-in, right? Uh, which I, I quite enjoyed. One, yeah. I would say that's probably my favorite tie-in of the bunch. Um, it's mm-hmm. totally just a, a Nascenti, John Romita Jr. Daredevil comic, you know? Like, it's not like it tries to be this bigger X-Men thing. It just happens while X-Factor and Apocalypse are battling. Uh, but it's it's quite good. And it's like Daredevil leading a bunch of, you know, his his law practice at the time in their run and the kids. And I, I enjoy it. It's a good read. Uh, no, Senti's Daredevil. Uh. I'm planning on finishing up that run and, like, reading the rest of it. So I didn't, I didn't read it out of order. I figured I'd get to it eventually because I, I like that run enough so far that I'm going to read the whole thing. Mm, yeah, All right. Good. Any additional final thoughts? Sarah, you can go first if you like. Um, I think that that's about it, honestly. Like, I enjoyed, you know, all of the the tie-ins as loose as they might have been (laughs) as well. Yeah. I thought that they were all good. Uh, The death of Doug Ramsey, you know, I can't even think about it without tearing up a little bit because (laughs) I just remember reading it, you know, whenever I was a little kid. And then Rain's reaction. Oh, my God. Yeah, her reaction is what got me. It's very, it's very Simba finding his dad, you know, oh it's like, get off, Doug. It's, it's very sad. Rain yeah. is that character through the entire New Mutants run. You know, um, after New Mutants ended, we have seen so, uh, so little good stories <laughs> with Rain. But during mm-hmm. that first, mm-hmm. like, yeah, 70 or so issues of New Mutants, it's just like, she makes me cry all of the oh, time. Who, who, like, adopts her as a little sister? Is Moira. It the cost- no, Moira daughter? adopts her as, like, a oh, daughter. Oh, Cannonball. 
Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Because I, I thought that was very sweet. Because I was like, she continually is just getting adopted by people who are like, you need a family member right you, now. You need a friend, little one. I know. Oh, my God. The one where <laughs> or, like, she like. a friend literally isn't enough. We I need to like call you family. You're family, family now. You need... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that just keeps happening. To her. Okay, oh, my her God. Her relationship with Moira just like get, oh, kills me. I love it. It's so heart-wrenching. Right, yeah. There's like this Zach. whole. Oh, sorry. A whole scene with yeah, her yeah. and Moira where like. Uh, she does, she's afraid to call her mom. And then whenever she finally does, she's like, thank you, Lady Moyer. And then she's like, mommy. And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> and Moira is just like, my daughter, why are you just I me know. Mom? Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, rain, all the tears. Doug, tears. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> yep. What were you going to say, Dave? Oh, I was just going to say, any final thoughts? No, no. I think that, that wraps up. I liked it a lot better than Mutant Massacre. I think there was a lot of... Uh, people like holding their breath uh for this i mean i still think x factor is you know kind of kind of a mess but um i same with mutant massacre like x factor was the weak link there everything oh else yeah works works okay for me um yeah yeah pretty interesting pretty interesting stuff what do we got coming up next dave coming up next is going to be 1988 part three you can Ooh, find actually, it here on my marvelous year yeah coming up next next week is our Nascenti interview that's, uh, that's okay. Good deal. Yeah. yeah. So next week's variant will be uh, will be my marvelous year number one hundred. It's our mm-hmm. official one hundredth episode in our interview with amazing comics creator Anna Senti. So tune in for that. That'll be fun, and or it was fun, but it'll be fun for you to join us too. And then our next episode, we'll be talking. You can find all these issues in the show notes. We'll talk Excalibur, the launch of the graphic novel, and then the uh, ongoing series written by Chris Claremont with art by Alan Davis. We'll talk about the launch of a Wolverine ongoing also written by Chris Claremont, busy guy. And then we're actually going to talk more Uncanny X-Men. So we've got oh X-Men Central um, as we get into the Australia Down Under era that Fall of the Mutants just kicked off. So check Very out the link cool. or check out the uh, issues in the show notes. And, uh, you know, if you're a Patreon over at patreon.com slash year, you can get the whole spreadsheet uh, for as little as $1 a month. And then, yeah, uh, right. and then you're good to go from there, right? That's right. All right. Thanks for confirming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said right. I know. know. Sarah, thanks so much for joining. Where should people find you? Yeah, um, I (laughs) have so, so many projects. So I would say just check sarahcentury.com because otherwise we'll be here for the rest of the evening trying to list all of the different places you can find me. (laughs) The second hour of our show will be uh, Sarah (laughs) listing all of her ongoing work. Seriously. Stay tuned for that. Yeah, sarahcentury.com. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. I'd well, say thanks for joining her on us. Twitter for like good cute rabbit content. Oh my god, cute rabbit content. Yeah, <laughs> I just adopted a Flemish giant, and she is so huge big. and adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just started following you on Twitter. I think, and like I've been seeing this rabbit, and, <laughs> and not because you're on the podcast, but because Zach was looking for uh, I was rabbits. A, well, actually, <laughs> yeah. I, I have my mar- my marvelous year account, and then I've got my alt account, which is just for rabbit Twitter. Uh, but thank you so much sarah it was was great having you on oh yeah this was wonderful and i'm so glad that you asked me this is i uh, read these as a kid and it was really nice to revisit them for sweet sweet glad you could join all right my marvelous year we have music by disaster piece you can find all the comics over patreon.com slash my marvelous year or my marvelous year.com i'm dave he's zach uh, if you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes. Otherwise, we'll see you next year. See you next year.